0: Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 84 of the Movie Marathoners Podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host Mati, and joining me this week is my friend and the founder of the Tyler Hayward fan club, Ian Anderson. <laughs> welcome back to the podcast, Ian. How's life going?
1: You know, it's actually going pretty well. I, I have a job, I have a fan club, and I just learned about the fan club, actually. So you seem pretty that's busy. big news. Yeah, I've got a lot going on between those two things.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a lot of Tyler Hayward backlash after this (laughs) season finale. He does some pretty questionable
1: things. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe he's just, uh, he's thinking, he's thinking like way more big brain than any of us are. Mm. So he's like phase
0: four Thanos. He's the guy above Nick Fury. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy that's not afraid to do what needs to be done to get the results that are best for humanity. That's yeah. why he was going to murder two little children, right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, somebody's gotta do it. Yeah. Well, if you That's didn't... a spoiler, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yes, it is, but this is a Wandavision <laughs> podcast. Kind of stepping on my toes there, Ian. But yeah. this week we are doing a normal marathon episode featuring a full-length review of Wandavision. Before heading to the start line, we will start with a warm-up where we talk about some film news and then we'll go straight into the discussion of the Wandavision finale. And the season as a whole, that conversation will be full spoilers from the start, and apparently even before that, I'm I apologize <laughs> if you haven't seen it and you clicked on this episode anyways, but um you have been warned. Finally, after that, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. But let's go ahead and warm up with some film news. So um it's been a pretty sparse film news week, mainly because we're kind of in the thick of awards season now. And also, you know, the whole industry is still stalling to see how COVID vaccines roll out and whether people will actually go to the movie theaters or not. But we did get some new information on the highly anticipated sequel to a 90s blockbuster hit. I'm talking about Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is, of course, the sequel to 1996's Space Jam, which saw Michael Jordan. I almost said Michael B. Jordan just instinctively, but (laughs) Michael not B. Jordan team up with the Looney Tunes to take on the Monstars in an epic basketball game. So that movie is one of those classic live-action animated hybrid films. It's charming and it's funny. I like it a lot. It's pretty cheesy and dumb, but it was a lot of fun. And it did give us the song, I Believe I Can Fly, by somebody. I, I don't know who. Definitely not anybody problematic, that's for sure. So good job, Space Jam Legacy. But Michael Jordan is not returning for Space Jam A New Legacy. Instead, it's LeBron James who's going to be leading this film, uh, and this film has him and his son and the Looney Tunes pit against a CGI humanoid named, I hope you can follow this, Ian, al rhythm <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but that is a play on the word algorithm. Whoa. You got that? Yeah, okay. So um g rhythm <laughs> is played by Don Chiedel, and allegedly the story will be about the father-son duo getting stuck in something called the Warner 3000 Entertainment Serververse. I think 80% of that is nonsense. But um, basically what Algy Rhythm is trying to do is he's trying to steal some of LeBron James' Instagram followers, presumably for some nefarious purpose. And so I'm sure at some point they will play a basketball game against this group called the Goon Squad. But they're also going to be traversing through Warner Brothers properties such as Mad Max, Casablanca, um, the DC universe, things like that. So this kind of strikes me as something of a semi-live-action Lego Batman. Like, remember that movie where there was Sauron from that Lord of the Rings? That was so good. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, live-action Lego Batman sounds pretty cool. But uh, Ian, what are your thoughts on this film? <laughs> and I guess, what are your expectations for this thing?
1: Yeah, I, I hate to compare... Movies like that, but but thinking about Lego Batman, if it's anything like that, that that'd be awesome, uh, playing with all those different properties, especially because they have so many right now. It, it, yeah, and if they stick to the same thing that the original was, where it's just like fun Looney Tunes nonsense, then mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a good time.
0: Yeah, I could see it being like kind of a surprise hit. I mean, it's not like Looney Tunes or I mean, I guess the original Space Jam was like, quote unquote, high art. But it was pretty fun, and I feel like there's not going to yeah. be a lot of movies this year, anyways. So I and think we've this been one asking has the for potential it for 20 years. So, yeah, I go onto the internet every day and I write an email to Warner Brothers and it's like, where the hell is my Space Jam sequel?
1: Yeah, I can only assume it's been 20 years in the making. Like they right. put they've put work into it since then.
0: <laughs> well, you kid, but I'm pretty sure that like a Space Jam sequel has been in works for 20 years. It's just has been in development hell and there's been various people attached. And I think Michael Jordan at some point was going to do another one, but now he doesn't want huh. to all this stuff. Hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I think this will be pretty cool. Have you seen LeBron James in train wreck by any chance?
1: You know, I haven't seen train wreck. It's the Amy. Yeah. I know what it is Schumer? and I want to see it, but everybody that I want to watch it with has already seen it and they don't want to watch it again.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I think LeBron James is the best part of that movie because he's just really <laughs> fun. And I think if he brings that energy to this movie, that would be pretty cool. Did you read the uh, article the from Entertainment Weekly that I linked here?
1: Is that the one that talks about uh, like the Amazons coming into it from Wonder Woman? Maybe. I don't know. But I read an, art- there was... I read an article about that. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of director bullshit in this uh Article where they were saying that wow, we're really trying to pull at the heartstrings at moments. Like LeBron James has a lot right. more acting to do than Michael Jordan. Did I don't know want if that's that true. In
1: Space Jam, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think <laughs> as long as they play basketball and there's the Looney Tunes here, um, <laughs> like it's going to be one of those things. Like you said about Wonder Woman, where as long as they put something on the screen that's relatively competent, then I'm going to be pretty satisfied. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm not looking too hard into this, but. I will say Ryan Coogler, who, of course, directed Black Panther, Creed, and Fail Station, he's producing this. His production company's behind it. So that's pretty cool. Um, that and that gives me hope. Did you see the screenshots or whatever you call them um, of
1: Bugs Bunny, like the new
0: animation mm-hmm. style? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that?
1: I, I actually, uh, I, I think it looks really good, but it also made me realize how good the original Space Jam looked for its time.
0: yeah. <laughs> Well, it looks really good even with the 2D, and I think 2D kind of has a timelessness to it, Mm -hmm. but I think this 3D animation actually looks pretty good for 3D animation. Yeah. Um, What about the controversy, the Lola Bunny controversy?
1: Wait, there's a Lola Bunny controversy?
0: (laughs) Not really. Just people are upset that the new Lola Bunny, um, how do I put this delicately? Is she not hot? I mean, I'm not going to judge whether Lola Bunny is or is not hot, but I think she's objectively less curvy, and people are taking Wait. issue with that. Like, people are like... I, I saw an actual article titled, Space Jam fans are upset
1: over Lola Bunny's new look. Oh, yeah, I see, I see that now. Care to weigh in? I. It's a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> it's Looney Tunes and it's Space Jam. What are you going to this movie for? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Clearly
0: clearly, other people that aren't us are going to it for different reasons. So maybe those people will be upset. But you're right. That's okay. I, think that's a, I
1: think we're okay upsetting those people.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good mantra to go into this movie with Lola Bunny is just a bunny. So um, that will be hitting theaters and HBO Max simultaneously on July 16th of this year so even if movie theaters are still in the shitter we'll at least get lola bunny on our tvs and people can do with that what they will all right let's head over to our (laughs) all right let's head over to our main review for wandavision so first a synopsis of wandavision in case you're one of the three people who was not watching wandavision over the last seven weeks so, WandaVision blends the style of classic sitcoms with the MCU, in which Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpowered beings living their ideal suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. WandaVision stars Elizabeth Olson and Paul Bettany, it is created by Jack Schaefer, and all nine episodes are directed by Matt Shakman. So, WandaVision is a show on Disney+. Plus. It is notably the very first Disney+, Plus Marvel show, which finally bridges the gap between films and television. The MCU has always been in films, now it's in television. And that doesn't seem like it's going to be changing anytime soon. While there will, of course, still be MCU films, I think that's going to happen forever, <laughs> um, there is now upward of a dozen MCU television projects in the works, and the next one Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming. It's starting again in two weeks. So everything that we just did for the last seven weeks, probably going to happen again in two weeks. (laughs) Yay. But um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was actually supposed to come out last fall, and that was supposed to be the first MCU show. But of course, it was pushed back due to the pandemic. So the release order of these shows changed a little bit. So it makes WandaVision not only the very first MCU television show. But also thanks to the delays of Black Widow and Eternals, it's the first MCU content that we have had in over a year. So I remember, Ian, when we were talking about like the Disney investor meeting, we were saying Mm -hmm. this is going to have so much hype. And and we were right. Expectations were really (laughs) high. WandaVision had quite the cultural moment, I would say. I don't know if you've been on Twitter in the last seven weeks, but at least my Twitter is basically nothing but WandaVision every Mm -hmm. day. This show is pop culture and i feel like it's been pop culture it's been the topic of pop culture for the last seven weeks since disney was pretty smart to roll this show out once a week on fridays after dropping its first two episodes on january 15th i feel like the last time that a show was talked about this way was the final season of game of thrones right where everything on twitter was Mm -hmm. game of thrones for like whatever five weeks because i don't that final season only had five episodes So just in terms of cultural capital, I feel like WandaVision is inarguably a complete success. And I feel like it's funny because Disney managed to be the primary piece of pop culture for seven weeks in a row using third tier characters that were on the bench for most of the movies that they created.
1: I know, blows
0: me away. No one cared about WandaVision, uh, Wanda or Vision before this January. And I think that alone is incredibly impressive that they were just like, well, we'll just take up everybody's bandwidth on social media for seven weeks using characters that are worth like $1 in those games where it's like you have $15 to fill out your Avengers category. Mm -hmm. But But I mean, on top of just cultural capital, WandaVision wore also a lot of other hats. It was supposed to be this continuation of the MCU saga. It was supposed to set up the multiverse. It was supposed to be an introduction to hard, quote unquote, magic. In the MCU. And then I think perhaps least importantly, it was supposed to tell a compelling story about two characters, and those two characters happen to be Avengers. So I think, largely speaking, the general consensus of WandaVision is pretty positive or like Mm -hmm. excessively positive. A lot of people really love this show. I think sometimes that love was really hyperbolic, and we'll talk about that as we kind of hit some of the episodes and some of the responses to those episodes. But in general, very well received show. People enjoyed it a lot. Ian, I feel like I don't even need to ask you whether
1: you like this show or not. <laughs> yeah, I I love this show so much. It hit pretty much everything that I wanted it to and everything I expected it to. And I had a lot of expectations going into it as the first like actual it's all connected Marvel mm-hmm. TV show. In this kind of format, I think is like the closest it's it's still so different, but I think it's the closest that we're going to get to like comics this is like straight out of like the scarlet witch and the vision series that i've i've read like this is so much like it and um i i would love to see something like this in the mcu moving forward like these character focused stories on tv and then they all come together for the big events so you don't really need i guess those character moments as much in those Mm -hmm. so you can really focus on them in, in the in their tv shows
0: Yeah, that's something we talked a little bit about. I know the last time we talked about the MCU and what we want going forward, right? Like Mm -hmm. this character focused television shows. And I I like the way that you put it, that it's sort of like almost just a comic mini run, right? Mm -hmm. This is the Vision and Wanda comic series. And you read this. And if you only care about the Avengers team ups, you read those Avengers comics, and you don't read this whatsoever. And more or less, your experience isn't altered that much, right? You still completely understand everything that happens in the Avengers comics, mm-hmm. but if you want more Wanda and Vision, you get this. I think yeah, that makes sense, exa- right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. You don't, you don't have to. I'm guessing some people didn't like uh, WandaVision, and you don't really have to. There's another place in the MCU for you. <laughs> you can watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
0: <laughs> right. I think that's a good way to put it. I don't totally agree with you that it works perfectly- as something that's self-contained because I do feel like there's enough here that feels like it is a stepping stone to something Mm -hmm. else and it still has that feeling. And so I agree with you. I think like what I really, really wanted from these TV shows are these self-contained stories where they can do bolder things and do more ambitious types of storytelling Mm -hmm. and have that not really affect what's to come. And maybe that was a little foolish of me that they would do just a completely isolated story, right? Like I think, and maybe it's even a little unfair to put that on WandaVision since WandaVision was the first TV show. So they have to do a little bit of that Mm -hmm. to say, look, there's something for the casual fan that you should watch this out because you need to know that, oh, now she has astral projection powers for Doctor Strange 2, which everyone's going to want, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, I understand that like, maybe I'm being a little unfair, but part of, what bothered me a little bit about the show as it went on is that it felt a little too samey towards the end of the show. I don't know Mm. if you felt that at all.
1: Sort of, but also to be fair, we haven't seen the extent to which this is going to be connected to other things. Mm. Uh, And the same with like Loki and Falcon and the winter soldier. We don't know how how much uh, future stories and movies are going to rely on those, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, (laughs) I
0: don't want to sound like I'm negative on the show. I will say that, like, there's this surface level enjoyment that you get from anything MCU related. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that universe, right? I love these characters. And there's also just an aspect of just admiring the technical skill in creating a universe that has this much consistent quality and consistent logic. Everything in the MCU has been tuned to be baseline entertaining. And to be popular and it mm. has this broad appeal right and i think kevin feige specifically but everybody at marvel has a real skill for creating broad appealing media and i think there is a skill there and there is a talent and there is a level of art and craft to that that a lot of people don't acknowledge and don't appreciate as much as something that you would have in quotes as like high art right so mm-hmm. I do want to be clear that like, I really admire the story for that. And I did really enjoy myself in a lot of this, but I feel after 24 movies, it's sort of like, I don't need to pat you on the back for that anymore. <laughs> like that's something that I've <laughs> I come to expect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so now it's sort of like, I want the next little bit, the next little more, like push it just a little bit more, like, like make something that doesn't feel part of the MCU. And I think the first three episodes of the show do that really, really well. And Mm -hmm. then it sort of starts to go, okay, once we get out of the hex, we're just in that MCU color palette of sort of high budget because we're TV, of course, but like spy sort of MCU stuff. And that was just a little disappointing to me. And I kind of wanted this whole thing to feel as original as those very first three episodes.
1: Yeah, I, I I. That's one of those things I think would have felt a lot cooler if that came in, like, the last two episodes. Like, the
0: all the MCU stuff? Or, like, all the yeah. MCU
1: feeling stuff? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I did want that feeling in this at some point. I, I definitely wanted it to feel completely different, especially given the nature of the show. But there was no way that we weren't going to get classic MCU final fight kind of thing at the end.
0: yeah. Well, I guess I want you to unpack that a little bit. Like, why was there no way that we were going to get that? Because, like I said, they've done 24 of these. So can't they push it a little bit? Can't we expect something different from these people at this point, especially with their like third tier people? You know, like, are we going to get another MCU final fight in something like Moon Knight or something like the um, Miss Marvel, the the Hulk one, the She-Hulk? Are all of these things going to start as one thing and then all become the same thing? I guess we don't have any way to know, but that's sort of my concern after seeing WandaVision, the one that had the most potential to be different and felt yeah. really different at the beginning, kind of swerve back to course correcting. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I it, And I think, again, given the nature of the show, it was going to be different for a while, but something mm-hmm. had to like crack in in her world for the story to make sense yeah um and, the, and like the mcu had to leak through into it and also I, I sort of want to take back my final fight thing about the end of the show because i think they actually did some different things with their final their version of the final fight uh compared to mcu movies which i really like
0: yeah i i agree with that maybe what we can do is sort of go through the show somewhat chronologically yeah yeah sorry (laughs) Um, no 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 you're fine I mean we'll we'll bounce around obviously but I think just thinking about it in that context of like talking about what happens in the first couple episodes Mm because I think this show does do a thing where it starts as one thing and then there's a transitional period and then there's the other thing that is the MCU thing and I Mm -hmm. I agree that there's a lot to talk about in that final fight that like some of it I thought really worked for me others I was like this is some decom shit if I ever saw it (laughs) But um, I think, you know, the first three episodes, if we can talk to talk yeah. about those as a group, right, those are the ones that are most clearly the television homage. And I think that conceit, that idea that they're trapped in this television reconstructed mm-hmm. era, that thing was really cool to me. And I loved, unabashedly loved the first two episodes of this completely.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. i didn't i didn't not i didn't not love them um but i'm just surprised because i feel like those got the the worst uh criticism um yeah
0: so like what i i mean i don't i don't want you you to go
1: ahead uh do you think like that had to do with the episodes being drawn out weekly because i feel like we talked about this we thought that um it would have been a lot more successful if we got all of those first three episodes all at once. And then second episode was episode four.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think, um, you know, as we said, it's really brilliant for them to drop them once a week because it kept it in the cultural consciousness. But I agree that that third episode is sort of showing some of the more MCU stuff that kind of like, like I don't even think the the end of the third episode says, hey, we're going back to just what you expect from the MCU. But it does say, hey, this is something else going on. <laughs> yeah, there's let me show you what else is going on a little mm-hmm. bit more explicitly. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe this is just me as a viewer because I, I knew that, like, I, I mean, I didn't I haven't read a ton of Marvel comics about Scarlet Witch or anything, but I know her shtick. I know House of M and her ability mm-hmm. to create alternate universes and stuff. So I know that obviously something weird is going on here and eventually it's going to crack. So I was content just living in this for as long as possible because I was having a lot of fun. I thought the production design was really incredible. Mm. Um, I really loved how the first three episodes felt like TV, but they didn't feel like TV episodes in the sense that they had a low budget or anything. It felt like what they would do with a full length WandaVision movie. If they still had that same conceit of, oh, we're just going to hop around from television decades, you know?
1: Yeah, and while we're still in these three episodes, there were so many Easter eggs and references to comic things in the first three episodes. Like, I didn't know what I was, like, supposed to be focusing (laughs) on. Like, leading up to the the show, I read just about, like, every Scarlet Witch and Vision comic, (laughs) like, out there. And it was, like, a ton and I kept seeing like little things in the background or in the themes. And I'm like, is am I supposed to focus on that? Like, is this is this villain coming in? Is this hero coming in? And I, I feel like that we'll talk about later. But that like led people down so many different rabbit holes that like didn't pay off. <laughs> yeah. And it, it I feel like that started that that was like fed so much in the first three episodes.
0: Absolutely. And I think the MCU is really good at doing that stuff. There is a craft to that. Like, let's include a little House of M reference here on the the bottle of wine mm-hmm. and stuff. But I do think that it's kind of the audience's fault if they let that become the main driving force of what they're enjoying the show for, because mm-hmm. then inevitably you will be disappointed. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we just see this over and over again. The the yeah. Palpatine theories or I mean, the Snoke theories are always going to be worse in execution than what you have in your head. So it is a bit dangerous.
1: Well, and I, I feel like I'm generally good at uh, blocking those kinds of things from my enjoyment of a show. But mm-hmm. just because of what WandaVision was, we knew nothing about like why this was all happening, where this was happening, how she was doing all of this. I thought that those things were like, Clues or something as to what was going on in the show. Um, Not Easter eggs put in by the creators, but like put in by Wanda or something.
0: Mm. So do you think that you might have felt differently if this was a movie where that stuff was happening in the first half of the movie? And then you kind of get everything that you need out of the movie after two hours. and, And then you kind of don't really think about it because the end of the movie usually sets up the next movie. Like, is there something to this being a TV show where you you don't have the full story until seven weeks later? Like, yeah. do you think that just sort of stirred up some like, oh, this has to be something because I need oh, to cling on to
1: something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, I don't know how much of that is like a niche thing with like you and I or something, <laughs> but I feel like I listen to so many different WandaVision podcasts and stuff on my runs yeah. where I'm just like... I'm so deep down rabbit holes that like Mephisto theories like are too easy to me now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And, and I think that's interesting because the Mephisto thing is something that a ton of people are like, oh, Mephisto is going to be in this. And for people who are not aware of who Mephisto is, he's the Marvel's version of the devil, like the literal mm-hmm. devil. Right. And he does a lot of shit with Agatha Harkness and Scarlet Witch. And I'm I'm not bastardizing that right
1: yet. No, no, you're. You're right. That's pretty much what he does.
0: Yeah. So people were like, oh, he's definitely behind all this. And I think that got in the way of what I thought was really clear signals in the first couple episodes of this is 100% due to Wanda. And what I really like about the show is that he was smart enough to not make any of this about all that random crap. They do a little bit Mm. with Agatha Harkness, and we'll talk about whether that was useful or not. But like, I always thought that from the beginning of this show that this was Wanda controlling stuff because at the very end of either the first or second episode, when the beekeeper comes out, she goes, no, and then sends him out mm-hmm. and backtracks everything. So to me, it was really clear that this was a 100% in one w- or not, maybe not a 100%, but predominantly because of Wanda. And what I enjoyed the most about the show was the potential to explore that grief and be in these different eras of sitcoms and all of that stuff and i thought that the over theorizing of it was kind of detracting away from what i really enjoyed about the show which was this mm-hmm. fresh
1: new perspective on the superhero storytelling yeah and that's one of the things that's great about the mcu i think because because there were so many comic things from like the mephisto storylines that were in this but they were still able to do their own story like when the kids popped up For the first time, I was like, oh, this is 100% going to be Mephisto now. But it didn't it it didn't go down that way. And it was still good.
0: I agree. And I and I think the first three episodes just really do a good job at having both Mm -hmm. and being like something else is going on here. And this promise for something bizarre is cracking through. And you get the really like chilling moments when anybody breaks face or breaks character and the guy starts choking um, at dinner Or the people are doing Mm -hmm. these weird movements or all sorts of weird, creepy stuff. I liked all of that. It's when we sort of start to peel back the layers more and more that this show started to bother me a little bit more. Mm. Um, But before we get to that, I have a question for you. I saw this on Twitter, Ian, and I I think it's kind of a fun question. Like, Mm. if you were Wanda, if you were crazed into a grief-driven sitcom universe where you bounce around from four sitcoms that define your life mm-hmm. what do you think
1: your four sitcoms would be Ooh, i i think i'd probably go with community parks and rec probably how i met your mother in the office no i'd replace how i met your mother with modern family so it seems like a
0: lot of yours are going to be like 2000s era sitcoms. so you're not going to go back to like 1960s you were in a, a 1960s dick van dyke show just thinking kid. about
1: like what I grew up on, kind yeah. of thing.
0: I think I would start with Full House, right? That was probably the oldest like sitcom that. I mean, I saw older sitcoms, obviously, but ones yeah. that really defined me. I was Nick at Night, Full House for sure, <laughs> and then we would go to Friends, and then we would go to How I Met Your Mother, and then we would end with Community, which not to tell Wandavision how to do its show, but I think the meta ness of Community would have been a fine, like an amazing final sitcom world to be in right because that would be when things would start to crack and i'd be like oh my god abed why are you talking to me about this all being a tv show you know i feel like mm-hmm. that would be a really good way basically what i'm saying is that i should have written wandavision i'm a little annoyed that they didn't take
1: my pitch <laughs> yeah that is annoying you should uh email <laughs> kevin feige again
0: yeah don't you have him on like speed dial or something
1: man i wish i'd have well, a screening order <laughs>
0: So, I mean, this uh, sitcom's conceit kind of continues for a little while. But I think episode four is the one where we kind of go back in time and we see everything that we saw in the first three episodes from outside the hex, right? Mm -hmm. This episode is for morons.
1: Yeah, I know you don't like this episode (laughs) um, and I understand why, but I thought that at least the beginning um, with Monica being unsnapped um i thought that was an amazing like scene of like the panic in the hospital that's something that like we haven't seen in the mcu they sort of made light of it in spider-man which made sense for the tone of the movie i guess but um that was like we've been asking like where do all these people come from where do they go when they come back and the hospitals are just overpopulated
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i i agree Um, I think that that is a really good opening scene. What really bothered me about episode four was that it took everything that was basically implied and said, let me hold your hand, you stupid dummy, and show you that all the cracks that we saw in the previous three episodes are actually people watching the show from the outside. And we had all these moments which, like, I guess were kind of funny, like, them writing on the whiteboard, what is the hex, basically doing the work for the audience that chose not to do it themselves and be mm-hmm. like, oh, let us feed you these questions you're supposed to be asking instead of just trusting that we would do it ourselves. And I, I get that, like, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but we're coming from a place of privilege where we say, okay, we, we know the MCU really well. You know the comics much better than I do, but I know the comics enough to understand what's going on here without the show having to tell me. But I do think that the show does a pretty good job in those first three episodes of giving you enough information that if we cut from the hospital scene to Monica Rambo being launched out of the hex and saying, it's all Wanda, it's all Wanda, and then having her explain some stuff in passing with dialogue to Wu and uh, mm-hmm. Darcy, then I think we get more than enough to be able to put everything together if you have like some semblance of understanding how storytelling works. And it really bothered me that it was super handholdy of being like, Let's explain that the thing that we heard on the radio was Agent Wu, even though you can put that together if you just give us a little bit of Agent Wu being like, we were trying to communicate with you, Monica, like there was this time that we did that. You know, it it just felt very, very like this is for the dumbest person.
1: I don't think that they were I didn't get the feel that it was being handholdy because I don't I didn't think that that was the goal of the episode. I thought the goal of the episode was to show that sword and woo like they were asking the same questions and wondering the same things that the audience were the thing that didn't work or it didn't not work for me but the thing that i i was bothered by was you know this is a limited series and this was an entire episode of it i thought it was cool to see that they were like writing down things on their whiteboard that like i probably was thinking in my head during these episodes like why yeah. hexagons what <laughs> why bees what are bees <laughs> um turns out and, they're nothing yeah turns out they're nothing <laughs> no, yeah but but I, I thought that was really neat to see that they were like pretty much the audience members too and that was like a sort of meta kind of thing with them watching wandavision also but again i i do wish that it didn't have to take up an entire episode
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i i get i get what you're saying I just think that you could have much more efficiently delivered that information by having us learn everything through Monica Rambo as she comes out of the damn hex, because mm. it's it just really weird to me that we literally went back in time and experienced all three episodes again from the other perspective, because they're going to have to tell Maria Rambo all of that stuff anyways, because she was in the hex during that time. So it mm. seems like a perfect device to catch... The audience up to speed that needs to be caught up without wasting our time for whatever it is. I mean, these episodes aren't even that long. So it was like probably like 32 minutes, but like that was just way too much time to give to like these characters that are doing the CBS detective show bullshit of, oh, yeah, there's some <laughs> micro rays that if we connect it to an analog TV, voila, we get, you know, just some of
1: that stuff was so like. Oh, you just don't understand science, I think.
0: Oh, you know, that must be it.
1: Yeah. Dar- Darcy's a doctor. You're not quite there yet.
0: <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm a year away. And then maybe I'll come back and I'll have an addendum on this episode and be like, holy shit, this all makes perfect sense. This was so accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like this was the first episode where I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of a TV show because we're getting some of this yeah. garbage of people just explaining science mumbo-jumbo, like not even well-written science mumbo-jumbo. Like the MCU has always had that bullshit science excuse stuff. But I think, you know, maybe it's just when you have Robert Downey Jr. giving that bullshit <laughs> excuse. It's like, okay, I, I'm at least I entertained <laughs> even if I don't believe you. Yeah. So I don't know. It just, a lot of this felt like TV acting to me when we're outside of the bubble. And I feel like the less time we are outside of the bubble, the better for this show.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I If only because I want more Paul Bettany.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess um, I should say that we didn't really talk about this in the first three episodes, but Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are phenomenal in this show. They are so good at just the comedic delivery, the way that they kind of embrace each of the different time periods and like the comedic sensibilities of it. It's so good. I love everything inside the hex.
1: Yeah, I know. Paul Bettany like He could have been on like the Dick Van Dyke show or something. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's so funny when they do these sitcom jokes, but acknowledge the fact that he's a robot, but it's not like making fun of sitcoms. It's like doing sitcom jokes, except he is an android synthesizer. I I don't know if that really makes sense for people who Mm -hmm. haven't seen it, but it's, it's clever. It's, it's really funny. And just like the, the pacing of it and everything is, is so fun. And then we get this episode four that makes me feel like we're in season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm like, this sucks.
1: Ah, the good old days.
0: Yeah, the good old (laughs) pre-Hydra days. Gotta love those. Um, Well, anyways, then we kind of get into some transitional episodes. But before we do that, let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation on WandaVision for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Okay, we are back and talking about WandaVision. This is full of spoilers, so just be wary. So I kind of grouped episodes five through seven into a little chunk as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, when we're in the hex for these episodes, I really enjoy them. I think the Modern Family episode, which I think is episode seven, is really funny. And like she does a really good job. She being Elizabeth Olsen Mm -hmm. does a really good job at homaging Julie Bowen. The way she holds herself and everything is so fun. But again, when we're outside of the hex and we get this your boy, uh, what's his name? Tyler Hayward, oh Tyler being Hayward, being like classic <laughs> shitty government agent bad guy. I was like, I want to blow my brains out. This is CBS basic yeah. cable stuff. But what do you what do you think about kind of this group of episodes, Ian?
1: Which episode had ended with um, Quicksilver? That's was episode that five? five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I like these episodes. And episode seven, what does that end with? Sorry, I'm just trying to remember. That
0: is the episode with the reveal of Agnes Harkness. No, Agatha Harkness.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I really liked this. Um, Especially because I was going through like the most self-doubt with all of my theories throughout <laughs> this section of episodes.
0: Well, that's because in episode six, they do the clever thing of making it seem like Agatha is part of Wanda's spell, right? That yeah, was a good I mean, misdirect.
1: He, even before that, they... I feel like in the first few episodes, they made it so obvious that Agatha or Agnes, whatever you want to call her, was was up to no good. She was Mm -hmm. doing something. And then I feel like even before the car scene with Vision in these uh, episodes, they were like sort of backtracking that. And I was like, wait, is she just nobody then? And where did Dottie go? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was annoying. (laughs) <laughs> but but i i really enjoyed these episodes the ha- halloween was really fun um i probably spent like 10 minutes going through just screenshots of the halloween scenes to see if there were easter eggs of like costumes in the background mm-hmm. and there there weren't many and i wasted a lot of time <laughs>
0: <laughs> well thank you for doing There was a lot of us. that
1: throughout this show actually <laughs> yeah
0: but But they do do some really cool stuff here, like you get the original Vision and Scarlet Witch costumes.
1: I thought Mm -hmm. that was really cool. Um, Oh, yeah. And the original uh, Quicksilver costume. Yeah. That was so cool. And then
0: Evan Peters, of course, has the line where he screams, kick ass, and then runs away. Mm -hmm. And of course, kick ass is the movie with Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who both play... Quicksilver, right? Um,
1: I thought that was a funny little nod. That just reminded me, I thought like the strongest thing in these episodes were like the quiet moments between Pietro or Ralph, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, like the quiet moments between him and uh, Wanda, I thought were so good talking about like their past and then like, even though it ended up being nothing, how they sort of remembered their childhoods differently. Mm -hmm. and that was troubling wanda i i I thought like their dynamic was so good
0: yeah there there are bits and pieces of like really interesting dialogue here i would say i i think there's at one point where the dog sparky dies and Mm. wanda says something to her kids that's like you know you can't bring back the dead that's just a rule and i think you and i have talked about this a lot that that's kind of one of the rules that marvel breaks a lot is that you can Mm. bring back the dead but there are certain types of death that are always permanent in the mcu so things like cancer kind of are never really rewritten right Mm. um so i thought some of like that um i don't want to say philosophical because that's so douchey but like (laughs) more conceptual i guess talk or like talking about kind of what this show sort of is about like the thematic parts of it I thought was really effective. And honestly, I wish we got a lot more of that. And if we had less outside the hex and mm-hmm. more Wanda and Vision debating what they think is right or wrong about the situation and all of that sort of stuff. And like really digging into what's going on inside Wanda's head, I thought that would have made this show a lot more effective. But I do like the parts that we do get.
1: Yeah. Totally. Um, I think, especially in the last episode, they get a lot into that. Um, yeah, and I guess just is that episode eight before that all the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think they do get their time to go through that. I guess when it's sort of the theme of the series, processing grief. <laughs> you, you do, yeah. As we talk about this, I, I'm getting I'm coming more to your side of like we, we needed less of sword.
0: <laughs> I I just. You know, also I, I, I think, like Monica. <laughs> yeah, she I don't know. I, I don't I don't care for her too much in this show. I'm sure she'll be great in Captain Marvel, too. But ultimately, the whole reason that she was in this show was to give her an origin story. So they didn't have to do it in Captain Marvel, two. Yeah. Which is kind of disappointing, but whatever. Before we kind of move on to episode eight, which I think is a big talking point, I do want to ask you, like, what your thoughts are on the evan peter's quicksilver thing now that it's all over
1: i'm so disappointed
0: okay so why are you disappointed
1: this isn't even like me going down a weird rabbit hole no i know like this is spiky like, like, like this is like literally <laughs> like the the quicks this is quicksilver <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and especially when we like have been confirmed that this is leading into a movie called multiverse of madness you yeah. know when you see something like this you're like oh okay that that's it that's the multiverse
0: well so i remember when we talked about this when it first happened when the drop happened which was a really cool moment like in the moment we were like oh shit this is so cool Mm -hmm. i remember i was like i'm kind of pissed that i was pretty sure evan peters was in this show because i saw casting news for it yeah um so screw spoilers but at the time we were like i think this is probably just a nod right didn't we think that um i i think i just couldn't tell but okay yeah So you're disappointed that it was just a nod, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I I would have been less disappointed that it was just a nod if they didn't spend so much time with him and spend so long convincing us that he was a different Pietro.
0: Okay. So I guess we should say, just in case people are a little confused, like maybe they've seen the show and they don't totally know Uh, what we're talking about, Um, Wanda's brother Quicksilver or Pietro dies in Age of Ultron. In Age of Ultron, he is played by... Aaron Taylor Johnson, my boy, some people, scholars call him ATJ. And then in this show, he is portrayed by um, Evan Peters, who plays Quicksilver, another version of the character in the Fox X-Men movies with like Hugh Jackman and James McAvoy and all those fun people. And so when he shows up in this, everyone was like, oh shit, this is actually the other quicksilver coming from a parallel universe into the mcu and this is how we bring in the multiverse ergo doctor strange in the multiverse of madness right turns mm-hmm. out it's just like wouldn't it be fun if evan peters was the guy that they used to pretend that they have wanda's brother back and that's essentially agnes tells us that right she's just like this is just some random guy and you believed it mm-hmm. because you were that grief stricken um that is setting up people for disappointment yeah (laughs) or at the very least being like
1: okay so it's kind of an odd choice and and now that makes me feel like we definitely aren't getting any of the fox men
0: yeah except for deadpool obviously like deadpool will come back and he'll be like i was in another universe he's an enigma (laughs) i mean he's an
1: outlier i mean yeah
0: but i mean it is very possible that they will do this later on anyways and this was just sort of like a bait and switch kind of thing like let's introduce the idea to people and get those articles buzzing so that when it actually does happen, there's more familiarity with that idea of crossing multiverses. Big brain yeah. play from Kevin Feige.
1: I guess so. And just speaking of the multiverse for a quick second, like we, I we don't think got any, I don't think they ever said the word multi, multiverse in this show, right? No. Like the last time it was referenced was probably in Spider-Man and that wasn't even a real one.
0: Oh, you mean uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal's character? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I just think it's interesting that we still haven't gotten anything, and this is supposed to lead into Multiverse of Madness.
0: Well, we sort of get it in Endgame, I think, right? Like Tilda Swinton's The oh, yeah. the Great One or whatever she's called. Yeah, I, I, um, I, got, I, got, I guess she does. She kind of brings it up, and it seems like the very final post-credit scene of this show which is a sentence that is now a thing that TV shows have post-credit scenes. (laughs) That seems to indicate that maybe there's some multiverseness. Well, let's get to it. Before that, um, episode eight, we find out that, well, I guess at the end of episode seven, Catherine Hahn, the great Catherine Hahn, the internet's new girlfriend, is like, hey, I'm not Agnes, I'm Agatha Harkness. And then everybody who knows, like all seven people who (laughs) know who Agatha Harkness (laughs) is, We're like holy shit it's Agatha Harkness. Everyone else was like, "Oh, I think that's that lady that I saw articles on comicbookmovie.com <laughs> <laughs> talked about." Um, so, uh, my my question for you is like how much do you know about Agatha Harkness? Like was is this a big deal um, to you?
1: It was a pretty big deal just because uh Agatha Harkness, I I'm it's tough because this is another one of those things where they They have something from the comics, but I can't tell if they're going to go down a storyline at some point. So I don't know if this is like potential spoilers or not for like the future. But she's kind of like a mentor. right? Yeah, Yeah, she's she's essentially more of a a mother figure to Wanda in the comics. Um, Definitely is more on the villainous side than the hero side. But but she teaches Wanda how to use her powers. Um, Mm -hmm. She helps her through like grief and stuff. She was with her, like, she was the nanny for the babies in the hmm. comics. Um, she had a big role in that. And she's she's like more of an anti-hero kind of person.
0: Okay. So she kind of becomes, in episode eight, the big bad of this season yeah. insofar as there is one. And then we get this flashback episode where we sort of see through all of Wanda's trauma as Agatha is trying to figure out how this happened at all. Uh, what do you think about this episode?
1: Yeah, I thought I thought it was good I, and I was still I'm still convinced like I don't know if Agatha was actually like a a big villain or if she was like trying to figure out what was going on still and like testing like the um the scope of Wanda's powers up until like the end of WandaVision. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I I I'm still not convinced that she was like a a big villain. I think that she might be coming back in Multiverse of Madness for instance, to fight a big bad there. yeah, And I I think that like episode eight was a big like knowledge thing for her. But I I do really like this episode, especially like the where were they? The Avengers compound uh, Mm -hmm. vision and Wanda. I wonder if that do you know if that was like a deleted scene or did they refilm that? I don't know.
0: My guess would be that they refilmed it. But yeah, it does look exactly like the scenes from Civil War. Yeah, it does. Um, I've said this, uh, when we were talking about like the haunting of Bly Manor that I don't really love when the last episode of a season is a flashback episode, but I thought this was pretty well done. I enjoyed it a lot. There was a little bit of handholding. Sometimes it was like, oh, let's peer in and look at the cassettes or VHSs of all the uh, sitcoms that she was watching with her family. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. She watched these as a kid. I'm not an idiot. But like, it worked pretty well because I think Elizabeth Olsen does a really good job at the emotional underpin of this whole episode. Like I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed all that. Did you happen to experience any
1: of the response to this episode on Twitter? Um, regarding just Vision's line from yes. that scene? Yeah. This was so bizarre
0: to me. There was a tweet that went pretty viral of somebody saying, quote, do you hear that sound? it's every screenwriter in the world whispering a reverent fuck under their breath because <laughs> <laughs> and this is in response to vision's line in the avengers compound where he's providing emotional support to wanda who has just lost her um i mean her whole home but also her brother he says but what is grief if not love persevering which
1: i think is a really good it, it is line. a good line but that's it's also just a vision line like he says so much of that stuff
0: yeah And it's also the bare minimum of what it means to emotionally support someone. Like, (laughs) I understand that this show has a lot of things to do. So we can't obviously spend a whole episode of like Wanda and Vision's relationship in the Avengers compound and like post that time. Right. I understand Mm -hmm. that. And I think for what it's worth, like in Infinity War, you see their relationship and you see how it's grown from Civil War. And you can kind of extrapolate if you're not an idiot, like, oh, look, he was here for her when <laughs> she needed him. So I get it. But like this one line is literally the bare minimum of what a TV show is supposed to do to establish like this is what characters do for each other. And this
1: is why he's important to her. Maybe, and, maybe you we're taking it the wrong way. And it's such a big deal because he's a robot and he's feeling that way.
0: Oh, so she was able to bring out the humanity in vision. In him, yeah. They complete each other. I just like, like I'm I'm really glad if somebody has an emotional response to something and is like, this is powerful and it speaks to me and it helps me grapple with my own grief. But watch some other TV shows, right? Like the one that yeah. we just talked about, The Haunting of Bly Manor is all about grief. And it has nuggets like this all the time. It's just a little far-fetched in my opinion. I don't know if, if you... Just think, I'm yeah, being no, a Yeah, no. I, I
1: mean, i i thought it I thought it was a really good line, but I wouldn't go beyond that. <laughs> yeah, not every <laughs> screenwriter was like, "God damn it, guess
0: I can't write about grief anymore." because yeah, I think the holy I think grail had, has
1: been reached. I think they're all doing fine, and I actually think while that scene was good, I think they did a lot better in the final episode with it.
0: Yeah, you want to just kind of get on to the final episode then? Sure. Yeah, a lot going on in there. What worked for you? What didn't? If anything,
1: um. Just overall thoughts on the finale. One of my favorite things, probably, it might be an overstatement to say, like, in the MCU. But I, I loved how the the fight resolved with the two visions, mm. instead of just like a pound your face into the ground kind of fight. Because <laughs> um, there was plenty
0: of that for like the first five minutes.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I think their their fighting was actually pretty cool to see, yeah. like the the cool ways that they could fight with their what is it like density changing abilities, you'd know better than I would. Well, that's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a vision Um, expert, but, but I I thought that was really neat. Um, And then when they brought it into where, where were they like a church or something? Yeah. Or a library even. Oh, library. Yeah. Um, And they just sort of got into like a philosophical talk which is such a vision thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they both resolved that like they're both vision, but they're also n- neither of them are a vision. And I thought that was a really cool. Uh, I thought I thought uh, our vision from inside the hex was going to convince the white vision that he was the actual vision and he was going to have to blow himself up or something. So I was very pleased to see that uh, they went a more peaceful route. And also left it open for an actual vision to return in the future.
0: Okay, so I agree with everything you said except for that very last piece. Um, I know, I, I know.
1: <laughs> it's just like, come on. The, the R- whole d- point of the show is to process grief. And if he comes back, then what's the point? Yeah. But is I, I that know what you were going to say? <laughs> yeah,
0: I know I'm being like kind of a a wet
1: blanket. I get it. But- I think they're still going to... he He's still... He's still not the vision that she knows though.
0: No, I know. I I just find when you start getting multiple iterations of a character that's played by the same actor, it starts to really become difficult to have any emotional investment in when any one version of that character dies. I, we I brought it up in when we were talking about this in the Disney Investor Day. It's like much like the CW like slight spoiler for Arrow season either four or five or six, I don't know I know oh, <laughs> there's a there's a moment in that season or series where the laurel that we know, the black canary dies, mm-hmm. and then in like the next episode or two, another version of the character, who is a villain but still played by cassie what what is her name i could
1: you could you could not pay me enough to <laughs> okay, I don't
0: know Remember whatever her that. name is whatever. She's still playing the same version of Black Canary and she comes back and she's a villain. Sure. But it's like, it, it really just undermines the death of the character. If you're just going to bring the actor back again, it's the same way that like if Tony yeah. Stark or, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. comes back and plays another version of Tony Stark, I think it's really going to undermine
1: the death and end game. I would agree with somebody like Tony Stark, but like with a character like Vision, I would be mad if we wrote him off as being dead when like he's a robot and we can clearly build another one, you know. I don't know. I guess L- we can like agree if you to think disagree. about <laughs> it for if you think about it for like I don't know any amount of time, you could be like, "Oh, why why would the Avengers be underpowered without Vision? Like we can just build another one." That's the only thing that makes sense. I don't know.
0: No, no, you're right. And I, I guess for me it's just more of like from emotional storytelling, right? Like, we don't have actual computer synthesoids that are artificial people that we can save in computers or just remake or whatever, you know? So insofar as, like, how we experience it, it's a character played by an actor that mm-hmm. looks like a human being, and human beings don't just come back. And it, it just, like, bothers me a little bit. But, I mean, we can agree to disagree on this. I I'll, I'll concede- that, find the robot is going to be a
1: new robot, whatever. Cool, so I'm right. Um, Not what I said. <laughs> and, and just while we're still talking about Vision there for a second, did you notice the similarities between when they went into the library and were fighting to the end of Man of Steel? No. When they were both flying no and shooting, shooting laser... Our vision holds white vision the same way that Superman holds Zod when he's shooting his like uh, his beams out of his eyes and white vision is shooting his beam out of his forehead and they're holding themselves in like the same exact way. But instead of snapping his neck, vision talks him down like a hero does. Did you notice that? Oh, I see where this
0: is going. I got to be honest. I don't remember (laughs) anything about Man of Steel other than Pa Kent dies in a hurricane because he went to go save a dog. And um,
1: <laughs>
0: then at one point, Pop Ken's also like, maybe you should have killed maybe that bus full of children. Have killed that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, those are the only two parts besides uh, that one I remember. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> I get it. Okay. Well, so so what you're saying is that I don't want to put words in your mouth. But mm-hmm. What you're saying mm-hmm. is that this confrontation is better than the confrontation in Man of Steel.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. That's what I'm saying.
0: Fair assessment.
1: I can't um, wait for Justice League.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's going to be back on the pod to talk about that one. I'm sure it'll be a love fest of four hours. Um, maybe maybe we can do a four-hour podcast for the four hours of, what is it called, Justice League? Zack Snyder's Justice League.
1: Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, I think we have to build up a fan movement behind this podcast episode before that, though.
0: <laughs> Release the Anderson cut <laughs> of the podcast. Um Okay. We, we, we talked about the vision confrontation. I agree with Mm. you. I thought that it was like very in character of vision to end this with a confrontation of the mind. That was Mm. smart. Um, all the other CGI fight stuff was pretty underwhelming. I thought, um, yeah, I thought Agatha Harkness was super wasted. She was just purple LED lights doing shit without any rhyme or reason. And then she was done pretty quickly.
1: That's something that annoyed me a lot about this series. It seemed like it was going to be, like, the introduction of, like, proper magic beyond Doctor Strange's kind of magic. And, like, proper magic with rules, right? Yeah, yeah. Rules and, like, spells and stuff. And what we got was throwing little energy balls at each other.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, to be fair, the MCU is always kind of bad at defining their power sets. Like, what? does monica rambo do what does captain marvel do how are those characters different they both fly they both i mean i guess they're both captain marvel a lot of these characters have power sets that are pretty ill-defined but i agree that when you have something as powerful as scarlet witch it's helpful to at least when you have the time in a limited series lay out what she can and can't do
1: yeah i mean it wasn't even like how how powerful she was but it just doesn't it didn't seem like the kind of magic that they were talking about in the basement of Agatha's house. Right. It felt more pew pew.
0: Yeah, it was, it was pew pew. It was like, well, we don't have Iron Man anymore who literally shoots lasers. So let's just make magic lasers. And it's kind of disappointing. But, um, I, I, also felt that the CGI was like, it's not like MCU always has the best CGI, but it always has very passable CGI in my opinion, except for like rhinos for some reason. But this was pretty TV level cgi for me
1: yeah i i agree
0: but what they did do really well which i think is worth commending because the mcu is not always good at doing this is the emotional payoff the last moments between wanda and vision were beautiful and
1: perfect Mm -hmm. in my opinion and i was so glad that we didn't have to watch the kids fade away yeah (laughs) especially (laughs) after watching them disintegrating on the ground crawling towards their mom (laughs)
0: yeah and then tyler hayward was like time to get up do my job and shoot some kids because he just tried to murder those kids see this is what i'm saying though he
1: knew they weren't real kids
0: (laughs) oh well thankfully monica rambo was in there to do something
1: she stood there she she definitely did that
0: yeah and then like the bullets kind of went through her but kind of didn't what is this character what is her power set i was super um, underwhelmed she has by some everything of
1: the, she has some of the most ill-defined powers oh good since we were just talking about that <laughs> uh she can like sort of become energy but she also has all of captain marvel's powers she's like a mix of electro and captain marvel i would say
0: mm, okay well anyways um <laughs> <laughs> she didn't do anything in this episode other than make sure those kids didn't die, even though one of them has super speed and can dodge bullets and the other has like Witch's powers. powers. Yeah. Um. Let's let's talk about the post-credit scenes because those three characters are kind of interesting in how they affect the credit scenes. So mm-hmm. in the first post-credit scene, basically just like, hey, Monica Rambeau is going to go up in space and meet Samuel L. Jackson. And that's going to be Captain Marvel, too.
1: Or Secret Invasion, which, whichever comes out first, oh. I guess. Oh, you
0: I didn't guess you get could that? Be. I guess you could be in Secret Invasion. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I kind of forgot that that was one of like the 18 billion shows that's coming out.
1: Yeah, as soon as, as, soon as they showed a scroll, I was I was thinking that, yeah.
0: Yeah. So for me, this post credit scene sort of kind of encapsulated how I felt about the final episode, which was just that like, oh, of course, all this did was set up the next thing. And it's mm-hmm. not even a thing that we didn't know about. Like I think there was a lot of questions of, oh, is what's his name, John Krasinski, going to show up as the the space aerospace engineer that she keeps referencing, oh God, and that's going to be the, the setup, you know? And it was just like, no, this is just doing the exact same thing as every other Marvel property before it. It introduces the next show in the timeline, yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So that, that was kind that, of that disappointing. Scene was annoying. Yeah. But then we get a second post-credit scene, which I didn't even know about. And the only reason I saw it was because I was still talking to Dana about what I thought about the episode. Um, So then we get something where Wanda is in a cabin in a place that looks like um, Sokovia, not that that matters. And then we see her like sitting there in a gray jumpsuit looking like Bradley Cooper from uh, Silver Linings Playbook. And then in the back, we see her in her astral projection reading... The Devil Bible or whatever it's called.
1: Oh, that was an astral projection. I had no idea what was going on there. That's
0: what I thought. Um, I could be completely wrong.
1: But in, in in Doctor Strange, they made it seem like astral projections could only happen when somebody was asleep.
0: Maybe she's just that powerful.
1: But I guess she's supposed to be more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme.
0: Yeah, that's a line that was said in this. Um, kind of on the nose. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but also the the dark the dark hold is in this that's yeah. from uh, a agents of shield
0: oh it is that's yeah. cool the the thing with I mean it's probably Rider, not the right? same
1: thing. I think this is like confirming that agents of shield didn't happen yeah but, well, but um, we kind of knew that, which is fine <laughs> <laughs> r i p but uh yeah i I think that's super cool and now I'm jumping down a different rabbit hole that doesn't involve mephisto but now it involves chatthon who's that he's an elder god kind of thing uh he's like the birth the birther of chaos magic pretty much and he created the dark hold and he left the dark hold in the caves of one mountain which is where scarlet witch was born and in that scene she was at the base of a mountain which leads me to believe that that was the same place so it's Chathon, And then eventually in the comics, Chathon takes over Wanda and uses her for her chaos magic and stuff.
0: Wow. that I mean, I believe you. I believe that that <laughs>
1: happened. <laughs> but uh, it also confirms that the kids aren't gone.
0: Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to ask. Do you think so? So again, for people who didn't see this and are for some reason listening or maybe just to give context for people who listen to this weeks from now, I don't know. But basically, as she's doing her, what I think is an astral projection, and what Ian Mm -hmm. thinks is something else. I I have
1: no idea what it was. We're going to go with astral projection. I thought it was like a, for a second, I thought it was a multiverse, like uh, that's another Wanda or something. But I think it's astral projection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway,
0: so while she's doing this, she starts hearing these voices of the kids calling out, Mom, Mom. So you think that it means the kids aren't dead in this universe? Or do you think this is her kids? calling out to her from a parallel
1: universe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, <laughs> I think it could be either. I think either way, we're getting the kids back, and Ooh. we're and they're going to be in Young Avengers. I think that's absolutely happening. There's no way Young Avengers isn't happening. That's with, like, Miss Marvel and... Um, it's not originally with Ms. Marvel, but it looks like they're going to be going that route because the character wasn't around back then. Okay. Um, but Kang the Conqueror is a classic... Young Avengers uh villain
0: and we're getting and him gonna, in Ant-Man
1: 3. We're getting him in Ant-Man 3. We got w- Wiccan and Speed in this, which is Billy and Tommy's uh superhero names. Mm-hmm. Wiccan and Speed. Uh we got them in this. We're getting Kate Bishop and Hawkeye. Uh we're getting Stature who is a uh, Ant-Man's daughter. We're getting her oh, in right. Ant-Man 3 also. And there are rumors about a different one, but I I won't spoil it cause I. I know you like to avoid spoilers.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's um. That's cool. I I think that all makes sense. It'll be interesting to see if like that's how she gets into the multiverse of madness or if it's something completely unrelated. But um.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there's like a way where like Wanda seems like she's shaping up to be a big bad now.
0: You think she'll be a big bad or a big character? I feel like you forward. don't read
1: the dark hold and not become a big bad.
0: Hmm. Interesting. That would be cool. I I think her being kind of morally corrupt is really interesting to me, um, and it kind of ties into her origins in Age of Ultron and everything. I think that makes a lot of sense. That would be cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things, though, that I, I hope they avoid with the character is um, an issue that they had with Wanda in comics with like how powerful she was. Um, they ended up just making her like, like a plot device to be used by other characters. Mm. Like they would just say, like, "Oh, she's like crazy and emotional, so, so Magneto is going to use her to complete his plans and stuff like that." And and I hope they give her a bit more agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but agree. it's also so, so tough because she's also going through a ton of loss. So it would it would be understandable. <laughs> if oh, but she she's was... moved
0: on through all that. That that's oh, over right,
1: now. Right, right. Wandavision's over, so she's yeah. fine now. <laughs>
0: So her grief is done. She's, she's solved it. She's solved grief.
1: That was something that bothered me so much in this episode when she was just like walking out of the town through the townspeople. I was like, what makes you think that like, that's an okay thing to do? Yeah,
0: that, that was something like, maybe, you know, I get why you did this, but maybe there should be some accountability here. You know, that was kind of the whole point of civil war. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And it was also about you in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. civil war.
0: Yeah. So really uh really making Team Iron Man seem like the right kind of people, but I'm still team cap, so it's fine. Um all right. I mean I, I feel like that's most of what happened in in the finale. Not quite as revelatory as I was hoping, but there's there's some nuggets there, and I think I'm still excited to see like what happens with that character for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's talk PRs. This is a segment of the podcast where we ask if this thing that we're reviewing, in this case, it is a TV show, is this anyone's best performance? Or, to use the running-related term, right, is it their personal record? So, Ian, do you think that WandaVision is anyone's PR?
1: Ooh, um, I think Paul Bettany's.
0: Okay, counter-question, though, how much of Paul Bettany have you seen in things that aren't Avengers? I've seen him in one
1: thing that was in Avengers. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, what was it?
0: He's in um, that one with Russell, a beautiful mind. Have you seen that? He's quite no. good at one best
1: picture. Not oh, that do, you, that do, you th- means do you think anything. this wasn't his best?
0: Um, I just, I haven't like seen enough of his stuff to confirm. I think in terms of delivering a performance that's memorable of the last couple of years. So like maybe a season's best, I think is another term that I've been throwing around. Like, his best performance in the last five years. I think he has a lot more to do in this than the voice of Jarvis in Iron Man. So it's yeah.
1: Fun. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen a ton of him, but I, I thought you know he he blew me away with how funny he was, but also all of those quiet moments with Wanda. I thought he was. I thought he stole them from her personally.
0: Really, I yeah. thought Elizabeth Olsen was phenomenal. In this, I I was really surprised by her ability to kind of bounce around from different types of comedy and then also sell those emotional moments. Yeah. Um, Uh, You know what?
1: I'm not a big Elizabeth Olsen fan, um, (gasps) but I will agree this is as good as I've seen her. Have you seen Wind River? Yes. I love her in Wind River. I was not a fan of that movie. I know you loved that movie. I was not a fan of it. I don't want to talk to you anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean it's 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 a rough movie for sure. I don't know. We don't have to make this a Wind River podcast. It's fine, but you are wrong. <laughs> good, I
1: don't I don't want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, so yeah, I mean I, I think it's tough to compare movie performances to television performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is like an Emmy winning performance. I don't even know if that means anything really, but I think she does a really good job with what she has to do. And I believe that she cares about these people on more than just like i I'm a superhero level, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like their dynamic between each other. And I don't know if I go as far as PR, but both really, really good. And I wanted to mention that. Yeah. What about the kid who plays Wiccan
1: or is it Walken? Wiccan? Wiccan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, that kid is also Luke in The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, huh. He just got a couple years older. So he doesn't have like a baby voice and he's not blonde.
1: He's really good at uh playing children who go through trauma. <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, um let's go ahead and wrap it up there. But since we're on the Movie Marathoners podcast, before we move on to our point 2 section, let's end our review with a marathon related question. So Ian, we did see the original costumes. They were kind of homemade versions of the original costumes of Vision. And Scarlet Witch. So would you rather run a marathon dressed as Vision or dressed as Scarlet Witch?
1: So are we thing, talking like their Halloween costumes yeah. or like their, oh.
0: Yeah. And the thing with the Vision costume is that you do have to have like face paint on to be red and you have to have the hood. Oh <laughs> so the the bad thing about Scarlet Witch is that we would have to somehow figure out how to make her like leotard or whatever more uh-huh. male fitting.
1: No, I want hers um i think i would do scarlet witch there there's too many uncomfortable there are fewer things on the vision costume i think but i think they're all uncomfortable
0: yeah the head thing would really get to me i hate running with like things on my head
1: yeah me too oh and also while we're talking about it i forgot to mention how cool it was to see scarlet witch finally in her like comic costume yeah that was pretty cool i thought that was never gonna work in the mcu
0: I don't really understand how she just like manifests the costume and can jump between that and a sweatshirt and hoodie, but whatever. That's magic. Fine. Yeah, true. I mean, I guess I, I did just ask that as if she didn't create an entire freaking city out of nothing. So that and was children. a stupid, that was a stupid question. <laughs> never, never mind. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So Ian, other than WandaVision, have you watched anything else?
1: Yes. And I never looked up anything about this show um, until I was getting ready for the point two. And I was so sad to see that it has a horrible Rotten Tomatoes score. <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel like an idiot for choosing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, as like, we wait, know, what? Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is the end all be all of film criticism. So
1: well now I'm looking I'm looking at a lot of reviews and I'm like, wait. Why did I like this show? <laughs> did you ever see Firefly Lane? Is that the, like, Catherine Heigl thing? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, so... Tell me about when it. <laughs> you say, when, you, when you say it like that... <laughs> um, I just know yeah, nothing about it. It's like a kind of soapy series um, along the same vein as, like, a, feels like Grey's Anatomy or Scandal. Um, oh, I so see. If, yeah. So if, if you're into one of those shows, you'd be into this, probably. It's about... Um, two women and like it flashes to different points in their lives together They're best friends um and it just shows them at different ages different things they've gone through together and admittedly like it it's very cheesy and not great but i think that the chemistry between the the two uh actresses are is really amazing cool
0: um it's on netflix, netflix. <laughs> what what like what genre is it is it like comedy is it drama drama? drama for sure yeah what's the drama
1: a lot of dark stuff happens to these two um they're journalists both of them uh go in very different directions one of them becomes super successful but has like a really sad life personally and the other one didn't take off in her career because she focused on her family and then her family falls apart and it's it's sort of about that, yeah.
0: Okay. And there's one season, right? Is there mm-hmm. going to be a season two? Well,
1: I don't know now. I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it set up for a season two, or is it kind of like a contained story? Uh, no, it definitely sets up for a. It's like they're like cliffhangers at the end of every episode. Okay. Because um, the the way that they tell this story, jumping around through time, from early on in the season, they show a funeral scene. And the two main characters are both there, but they're very clearly not friends anymore. And they keep making, making looks at each other. And so you're supposed to be, like, piecing together, like, who is it? And why aren't they friends anymore? And we still don't know.
0: hmm Sounds riveting. Okay. Well, that is <laughs> Firefly Lane, and that's on Netflix. And that stars Catherine Heigl and an undisclosed other woman.
1: Oh, sorry. Uh, Sarah, Sarah
0: Chalk chalk are you choking <laughs> sarah sarah chalky i think chalk. it's french Chalque. <laughs> chalk i think it's called <laughs> okay well that is firefly lane check
1: that out on netflix Oh, she was in um how i met your mother she was one of i guess narrowing it down to ted's girlfriends doesn't really help <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna google <laughs> she her was, she was one you would recognize she was one of the big ones
0: Oh, she's on Scrubs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I yeah, never yeah. watched Scrubs, but I saw that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. She's um, what is her name in Scrubs? Okay, this is uh, whatever. Anyways, check out Sarah <laughs> Chalake and um Catherine Heigl in Firefly Lane on Netflix. The the one thing that I wanted to shout out, I guess, or talk about, is also a Netflix venture. It is called Moxie.
1: Did you hear rankings are already starting? Emma Cunningham's just gonna get ranked most bangable for the second year in a row. Kira Pascal for best ass. Caitlin Price will take best round. It's so nice not to be on anyone's radar. Totally. You gonna me? Seriously? Where you going? Oh, can I help you? I don't know, can you? He's
0: bothering you. He's harassing me. If you use that word, that means I have to do a bunch of stuff.
1: You know that your school is weird, right? Ignore Mitchell. If you keep your head down,
0: we will move on and bother somebody else. I'm going to keep my head up Hi.
1: Have you heard of this? Yes. Only through your tweets.
0: Okay, so Ian knows (laughs) about it through one tweet where I said, now watching Moxie. Um, You watched that today, didn't you? I did, yeah. I watched it like four hours ago, so... Uh, I was going to talk about Ryan the Last Dragon, which I saw yesterday, but I loved it so much that it's going to be the topic of the podcast next week. So until then, listen to what I think about Moxie, which is a Netflix original movie. It's directed by Amy Poehler, uh, and it stars Hadley Robinson as a high school girl who basically makes this feminist zine. That's like a a term that Dana (laughs) used. I don't know if I'm using it right. Zine? zine. You know, it's like a like a a zine. Yeah, no, I know, okay. <laughs> I know what it is. What, I just what... never heard that in so long. <laughs> what am I saying? Oh, zine, um, <laughs> zine. Yes. So she makes a feminist zine that sort of rallies the girls at her school to rebel against the patriarchy and then stand up to sexism. And it's kind of like a coming of age slash teen comedy. Um, and I, I liked it quite a bit the the girl who plays the main character Vivian Hadley Robinson I think she's really good I think the the movie creates this like kind of teen romance narrative thing you've got like the 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 love interest played by Nico Harigo who is also in um Booksmart and their mm. romance is really good he's like very supportive of her uh quest and all of her rebellion things um I think the show does a really good job at like flirting with the ideas of really important topics. I don't know if it fully executes on all of them. Um, because this film is directed by Amy Poehler. So it's a white woman and it stars a white woman, uh, Hadley Robinson and much of the supporting characters are basically all the supporting characters in this sort of like group of these moxie girls is what they're called are portrayed by women of color and, uh, People from the LGBT community, um, mm. all sorts of individuals like that, and so it sort of teases these ideas of like that are specific to white feminism and how that plays with intersectionality with all of these individuals. Um, and and I think there's some interesting stuff there. Ultimately, it, it it doesn't fully execute on any of those premises, but I think like as a film that's pretty enjoyable and fun and like makes you reflect on some of those things. I really enjoyed it. And it's just a, Amy
1: Poehler in it.
0: Yeah. She's the mom and they have a good relationship and like a good dynamic. And it, it, that is confronted as well. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in this film. It doesn't exactly try to do anything too profound with it, but I enjoyed it for what it is, which is, it's pretty funny. There's like a lot of silly characters and stuff like that. But then it also has like this very real issue at the center that I mm-hmm. found educational, even if it didn't like necessarily open my eyes to anything new, it kind of just like shed a light on stuff that I was already aware of. It's a little too long. There's this kind of unnecessary wrinkle in the third act that risks derailing the movie a bit and is handled a little poorly. But overall, pretty solid Netflix film kind of reminds me of Booksmart, Mean Girls, that type of film. Um, really fun. I would recommend it. I think you'd like it. Oh, and Clark Gregg's in it. Yeah. It's all connected. It is. It's all connected. I didn't even do that on purpose. Look at that. Wouldn't it be so cool if Clark Clark Gregg shows up in the MCU?
1: I mean, as far as everybody in the MCU knows, he's still dead.
0: But he's not. There's six (laughs) seasons of an acclaimed television show. I can say that. Nobody's fact-checking
1: me. Of a TV show.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that TV show is kind of connected. It's all kind of connected, Ian.
1: That's true. That should be their logo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's all kind of connected. Well, Ian, this has been our review of WandaVision. I don't think we're getting a second season, so this might be all we get from WandaVision. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. I thought this was a really good conversation, and I had a lot of fun. Is there anything specific you'd like to plug here while you've got the mic all to yourself?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at iAnderson, the O in Anderson is a zero, and you should also watch uh, Justice League, Zack Snyder's, uh, what is it called? The, the Justice...
0: Isn't it just like Zack Snyder's Justice, Justice for League? for Zack
1: Snyder, good movie. Watch that, and then uh, come back here and listen to me talk about it. I can't wait.
0: <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be a fun and probably not a very productive conversation. So it'll make for great podcasting. Um, yeah. Follow in on Twitter. Look for the only profile picture with Tyler Hayward's face.
1: Oh my God. I should do that.
0: <laughs> the intro music for this episode is a piece called work by Kevin McLeod, And you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes You can follow me on Twitter at MovieMaraPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMaraPod. That's Movie M-A-R-A Pod. And you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at EvergreenPodcasts.com slash Movie-Marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. So please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next time when I'm joined by Chris Harder from Alsacan TV to review, as I said before, Raya and the Last Dragon. I think it's a really lovely film. I know you do have to either go into a theater to see it or spend your hard-earned $30 on the Oof. premiere access of Disney+. Plus, But um, definitely check it out. Really great movie. And I'm hoping you'll tune in and hear us talk about it. So until then, remember that life's a marathon. So let's take it one movie at a time.
1: Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons.